and Londoners face a clear choice. The Tories' Donald Trump campaign offers only fear, division and more of the same. 2016 and two politicians from wildly different backgrounds collide. Such is the raised profile of this extraordinary campaign that in the last two months I think this is definitely Sadiq and Zak. Sadiq Khan versus Zak Goldsmith. Hi, Zak. Hi, Ali. I, I want to know why you've run such a vile, disgusting, Islamophobic campaign. Sadiq, the son of a bus driver and a Labour Party candidate, and Zak. I'm a Bollywood fan, so anything with a Bollywood theme, I'm looking, I will lap it up. You say you're a Bollywood fan. Do you have a favourite actor or a favourite Bollywood film? Oh, no, you're, you're going to... I wouldn't be able to... No, I'm not going to give you one. Sadiq Khan, unlike Zach Goldsmith, also happened to be a Muslim. Um, you sent letters to the Indian communities, to the Indian and Tamil Sikh Londoners, suggesting that Sadiq Khan would not stand up for them as a mayor, uh, making claims that he was indifferent to foreign policy issues. Goldsmith's campaign was openly Islamophobic. Zach, do you feel comfortable with the prominence of race in this electoral campaign? While Goldsmith tried to exploit historic fault lines between British, Indian, Sikhs and Muslims, he sent thousands of leaflets informing anyone with an Indian surname that Khan supported a wealth tax on family jewellery. He called Sadiq a radical. He was exploiting the sense of, of fear that came with the 2016 terror attacks in Europe. Even your Prime Minister and David Cameron, our Prime Minister, just in Parliament, that he was IS supporter. One of his headlines was, are we really going to hand the world's greatest city to a Labour Party that thinks terrorists are its friends? Well, think back to 2016. That was a particularly bad year in terms of terrorism in Europe and even in the UK. Un autre kamikaze déclenche sa bombe, cette fois porte H. Aucun doute, les attentats sont coordonnés. 21h40, une polo noire se garde devant le Bataclan. For the simple reason that Sadiq was a Muslim, Zach Goldsmith tried to paint him as a terrorist sympathizer. When in fact he attended events um, discussing the evils of ISIS, and you continuously maligned Sadiq Khan, used his background as a Muslim or a Muslim of Pakistani descent. Goldsmith's campaign became the example for hate rather than hope-focused campaigning. And then, Sadiq won. I'm so proud of our city. I'm deeply humbled by the hope and trust you've placed in me today. But the mayoral election of 2016 shows us two main things. Islamophobia was widespread enough that it was thought of as a viable campaign strategy. And a mainstream politician was either happy with the use of Islamophobia, or at the very least, deaf to it. While the Goldsmith brand was affected by this outcome, and he lost, the campaign showed that these sorts of anti-Muslim dog whistles didn't come with a real cost. And when Zak lost his parliamentary seat in 2019, he was immediately given a peerage. So I'm Sophia. I work at Hope Not Hate as a journalist and researcher. I run the LAMP newsletter for Hope Not Hate, which is the newsletter on anti-Muslim prejudice and hate. It's hard because I don't go about my work thinking, I'm proud, I'm working on this. It's just, a lot of the time, it's just awful.
It's dealing with a lot of depressing issues from the far right to hate to, you know, trying to understand why are people this awful. Their deeds are wicked, their image is ugly, and they are driven by ancient hatreds. But then knowing I'm not the only one working on this and meeting amazing people who are also fighting different types of hate, whether it's feminist organizations or organizations helping trying to get justice for the Uyghur or working on anti-Semitism and knowing there are a lot of great people who don't get reported on often but who are in this fight too. It gives me hope. My name is Nick Lowells and I'm the chief executive of Hope Not Hate. Hatred, distrust, suspicion of Muslims per se has grown massively in recent years. You know, it's not confined to the, the, the extreme right. You see it in the newspapers, you see it in mainstream political thought. You have major macro issues such as the Uyghur situation in China, which I would argue is not just a cultural genocide, but religion comes into that too. So state-sanctioned Islamophobia. Um, and then you have the rising hate crimes in the UK, in, in France, in Germany. I know everyone who works on Islamophobia has heard the, the, the phrase Islamophobia has passed the dinner table test. But when Saeed Awarsi wrote this, it it was uh, remains very true. There is an acceptability so acceptable at so many levels that I personally sometimes have to, when there's an Islamophobic hate, I have to switch the minority. I have to switch it to anti-Semitism or a hate against black people to double check. It's become so normalized that it's not treated the same way. Islamophobia and what it is, is at the heart of the long-going controversy that's happening at several levels. Saeed Avasi, she's become quite a thorn in the side of the Conservative Party, constantly pointing out examples of Islamophobia. When um, members of parliament host um, uh, nationalists, anti-Muslim Islamophobes within parliament, nothing is done about it. When members of parliament retweet Tommy Robinson and nothing is done about it. When members of parliament use the N-word and they're simply allowed to come back into the party. When members of parliament, you know, it just goes... It, when linked groups uh, say the most vile things about, you know, Asian communities and Muslim communities, where uh, you have now groups who are associated with, with, the, with the party, who are funded Funding uh, the party who are associated with Islamophobes, the alt-right and anti-Muslim organisations. What is wrong with the party saying it is time for us to sit down and look at these associations and connections and comments and campaigns and work out the kind of party that we want to be? And if the party genuinely do not care, then in many ways, I think that would be easier for them to just come out and say that so that when we are out on the doorstep and campaigning, and even at the last election I was out door knocking and campaigning, people are saying, well, I don't think this party wants me, even though I am a conservative. I don't think this party cares about what my views are or wants me to be a part of it. So in um, November 2018, the All-Parliamentary Party Group on British Muslims came up with a definition for it. Islamophobia is rooted in racism and is a type of racism that targets expressions of Muslimness or perceived Muslimness. And this definition came under a lot of fire from several groups for several reasons, some of them more valid than others. 
I tend to use anti-Muslim prejudice and anti-Muslim hatred more. But at the same time, you know, I, I think that Islamophobia is, is the kind of widely accepted definition. And obviously that's the one that, that we have to work with. That's the one that people are trying to define. Some of the critics of the word Islamophobia are saying, well, how can you be phobic of a religion? Is that hatred? But I think Islamophobia in terms of its practical application is actually far broader. It is anti-Muslim hatred, it's anti-Muslim prejudice, it's the suspicion, dislike, prejudice, hatred of Muslim people. And this definition is at the heart of the controversies that are going on within the Conservative Party and elsewhere. It's come under fire for being for having many flaws. Some of the criticism is more valid than others. There were attempts after the Salman Rushdie case came up in the kind of late late 80s in the UK about having blasphemy laws. Should people have the right to criticise a religion? I think they should. Most people believe that. You know, people should be able to criticise a religion like they criticise anything else. But freedom of speech isn't absolute and there has to be barriers. You know, we you can believe in freedom of speech, but at the same time there is hate speech. There is speech that's deliberately designed to provoke suspicion, fear, hatred, prejudice against a group or an individual. And, you know, the rules of society means that, you know, we, we have to have laws. There has to be limits. It's not absolute. We believe in freedom of speech, but we don't want paedophiles having that freedom of speech or freedom to act. Just as you should be able to be critical of a religion or cultural practices, while at the same time believing that people who espouse or encourage violence to a group or encourage hatred, try to stir up hatred, you know, there has to be limits to that. So freedom of speech isn't absolute, but I think in the in in this debate around Islamophobia, you know, the freedom of speech issue is kind of is wheeled out by people who actually don't want a definition of Islamophobia. So the definition was supported by 750 Muslim organisations, but was rejected by then Prime Minister Theresa May, who said there were issues with free speech and with security. There was the concern that race and religion were being conflated and that it would cause confusion when addressing one or the other, and that it would make it racist to criticise Islam or Muslimness, which would then clash with the equality laws. Um, in fact, some of the criticism was less valid, like Melanie Phillips, who wrote in The Times that Islamophobia was a fiction to shut down debate. There is a fight going on now, a political fight over a definition of Islamophobia. The Sunday Times did a piece that was quoting a number of people who were highly critical of Karyasim, an imam from Leeds, where they suggested that the speech he did several years ago was questioning freedom of speech and saying that there should be laws to protect Muslims and, the faith and, and Islam as a faith. I think there are a number of factors here. First of all, that wasn't actually what he was saying. He was saying that many Muslims have difficulties with it and you know they understandably are kind of precious about their religion and didn't like criticism of it, but at the same time he wasn't advocating 
he wasn't advocating a curtailment of freedom of speech. He was saying that these are one of the challenges that Muslims face in a secular society. I think there's something far deeper here because I think that people were trying to take some words out of context and certainly they were trying to take a speech out of context of the person who Karia Sam is. Anyone who knows Karia Sam knows that he is, he is a champion of free speech, knows that he wants to find a a language that, you know, his idea of, of um, coming up with a definition of Islamophobia is both to defend free speech and the right to criticise with balancing it out with curtailing and limiting hate speech and protecting Muslims from people who, who, want to, who want to attack them. What he has done over many, many years, he's been at the forefront of challenging extremism. He's been at the forefront of challenging hatred, both within the Muslim communities, but outside it. He's been at the forefront of bringing communities together. He's been at the forefront of trying to find constructive ways with government and outside government of bringing kind of Muslims in, into the mainstream. And I think that, you know, everything about this person shows that he is a credible voice and he is constructively engaging to try to make society better. So to kind of take a few words out of context from a speech that's out of context with who he is as a person is malicious. And it's been done for a specific reason. And that reason is to try to undermine him and to get him removed as one of the people who will be coming up with a definition of Islamophobia. So until now, there is no accepted government definition of Islamophobia, and that causes several problems. One of them being rejecting, like Melanie Phillips, rejecting the basis, the, the, the idea of, of hatred against Muslims, because everything is shuffled under. I was actually just criticizing religion, and I'm allowed to criticize religion, which you are actually. But it's also problematic when it comes to hate crimes, which have been rising in the UK when it comes to Muslims. Not having an accepted formal definition creates confusion and a lack of action even sometimes when it comes to a person who is attacked because they were thought to be Muslim, either verbally or physically. And then it's often used to shut down debate too, because if you don't have a definition, whenever someone brings up Islamophobia, you can start talking about how, but is it actually? And we need to work on the definition before we address the hate. No one is saying you can't criticize religion. No one is saying even that you can't criticise the behaviour of certain Muslim communities or Muslims. But hate towards Muslims needs to be addressed. And it's crazy that we're in 2020 and we still don't have a good definition for that.